0: We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters.
1: Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of Woe. If you
0: want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch
1: just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons And I'm Isabeau. This is Romance,
2: A podcast about romance novels.
1: About fan fiction.
2: About murdering hell beasts.
1: About spelling your child's name as the backwards version of your name. About falling in love with your friends. About video games turned anime turned text file on AO3. About imagining... The
2: sounds of Richard Armitage crawling up and down your spine. About battle scenes in the past tense. About how exciting it is to discover someone else's body.
1: But most of all, it's about first thing.
2: Romance novels.
1: And ourselves. <laughs> this episode, we are kicking off our show within a show. Fan which quite fittingly for this episode, rhymes with obituary, <laughs> because we're going to talk about a piece of fanfic related to the cartoon, as it's described on archive of our own. Castlevania.
2: For those of you who don't know, Castlevania, the TV show, is based on a very popular video game for for goth nerds. Sega. And Sega Genesis of that time period. Um, but the Netflix television show begins with the murder of a woman named Lisa Tepes. Uh She's accused of witchcraft. And it turns out that she was the wife of Dracula. You don't fucked up now. Yeah. The church murders <laughs> her for uh, performing medicine. And then Dracula finds out that his beloved has been killed by the church. And he releases an army of creatures from hell. Uh, to blot out the human blight, who he has always assumed was terrible. And uh, then we meet a couple of really important characters who have to stop Dracula from killing every human on Um, Earth.
1: He has, like, a whole agricultural program for us. It's not like he wants to murder all of us. Some of us would get to live in, like, a pasture situation. Pen. Which Mm -hmm. is not so different, I feel like, from how I live my life now.
2: That's true. Anyway, <laughs> highly recommend the show. Highly recommend the spic, which is written by a favorite of mine, Gondol's Queen, called Rough Magic, about Trevor Belmont, Monster Hunter, and Saifa Belnares, speaker magician.
1: I think we need quite a bit of setup here, which I think is fine, because the text in itself is pretty brief. Eleven zippy chapters. Yes. Uh of- Eastern European Countryside Adventure. Wallachia. What is a speaker magician? <laughs> okay, okay. So, like, there are a couple of things that I want to,
2: like, set up for you. Okay. So, speaker magician is a class of human being that... Uh, rambles around the countryside in a wagon caravan um, performing good works they believe in yeshua the christ but they don't follow roman catholicism which is the church of the land that has done this evil thing and murdered dracula's human wife dracula and his human wife lisa had a son, and he's called the Alocard or Adrian. And then Trevor Belmont is the last of the famous House of Belmonts who were monster hunters for hundreds of years, but then were excommunicated from the church because they grew too powerful. And then they were all murdered because the church had excommunicated them and told everyone that they dealt in black magic. So when we meet our group, Our our fearsome team who's going to defeat uh, Vlad Dracula, who I must remind you again is killing everyone or putting them in pens because he's so sad that his wife has died. Like talk about an OG dark and stormy hero. Our team all have these really great backstories. Saifa is optimistic and funny and has lived her life entirely in community in this uh, wagon caravan of speakers who um, just go around remembering people's stories and storing those stories inside themselves. That's why they're called speakers.
1: They're like oral historians. Exactly. Exactly.
2: And then Trevor has just been wandering the world by himself as a total loner and not optimist.
1: One of the things is Trevor and Alucard, which I want to clarify, Mm -hmm. nobody calls him Adrian.
2: Not in this fic.
1: Not in the TV show. I haven't heard anyone in three seasons call him anything but Alucard. Only his
2: mom (laughs) called him Adrian.
1: So like, there's this. Like, I feel like there's some kind of recovery happening by saying that his name is Adrian, but they do in fact call him Alucard, Dracula spelled backwards. Exactly. But Alucard and Trevor both come from these households that have extensive libraries, which is of great interest to Saifa. Saifa, yeah. Who is interested in the written word even though she comes from a uh, oral tradition mm-hmm. do i get through all rebels in their own right <laughs> they're a really good team alucard does not want his dad to put human beings in pens because he feels like his mom wouldn't be that into it and so he's been like hidden for a while and then alucard and saifa or halucard Trevor and Sypha set him free. Mm -hmm. But I think this backstory is important because this fic actually begins like in an episode of the show Mm -hmm. wherein Alucard, Trevor and Sypha storm Dracula's moving castle because it is a moving castle. It is. It literally moves. Where he's like got all this political intrigue going on where like other vampires want to Disrupt his plans. Essentially, just manage them themselves. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they break in and, against all odds, they um, battle Dracula's generals. And spoiler alert: they win. They do. And that's where this fix starts. Is with the three of them in going through like there's like an actual like recounting of the content of the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Which I remember when I was reading it, I hadn't rewatched anything. It'd been a long time and. I remember reading it and I don't know if it was like some like memory in the back of my mind or if it was just something about the writing that to me was already immediately evocative. It made me think that like this already existed. This was text.
2: Yeah. And so speaking for Gondol's Queen and like as a fan of their writing, they really like to write into the spaces so like she has a one of their very popular series it's called um fade to black which just basically begins where every star wars rebel episode ended and then like creates an interstitial between that episode and the next so it's actually i i kind of set you a hard task with this writer because they rely so heavily on the original text to inform their fan fiction. This is truly fic for fans of the of the original thing. Gondol's
1: Queen writes for fans. And that's pretty typical for fan fiction, right? Like that makes sense. But at the end of chapter nine, uh, the writer adds to their notes, I do not as a habit enjoy rewriting what a show's makers have already written. I think what's interesting is that in spite of this, that happens twice over the course of 11 chapters. That made me wonder. So there is a type of fan fiction called alternate universe or AU. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially dropping characters into different circumstances than Mm -hmm. what is canonical. So that would be like taking Saifa and Trevor and making them a veterinarian and, <laughs> and um, a German shepherd. That's <laughs> a very yeah. – that's not a great example. But you know what I mean? Like, it can be that far-fetched. No pun intended. But, like – One that's super popular is putting characters into American university world.
2: Yeah, people love that. Like Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron are like constantly going to like Harvard and Dartmouth. And I'm like, why though? Like Hogwarts is already... So
1: that they can drink out of red plastic cups.
2: I guess. It's so weird.
1: But that's like a very common thing. And what's what's interesting about AU is that it doesn't require you to have... Any background. Mm-hmm. And there, because like the text that's being borrowed is kind of like the vibe of the characters themselves. And that's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Maybe it'll follow a similar arc to the original text to the canon but a lot of times like basically you don't you don't need to be familiar to understand it and that would be oh um i don't know is 50 shades of gray au yeah because yeah the main character isn't a vampire right and they're aged up they're not in high school one of the things we're going to talk about is romance novels that were originally <laughs> fan, fan fiction and they're almost entirely au's the ones that get published yeah but that
2: also makes sense.
1: Right. Because, I mean, like, anybody can kind of come to it and understand. I will say there are a lot of original universe, more canonically based fic that does not rely at all on or or doesn't need as much context. Mm-hmm. But I will say that this fic on the spectrum is, like you said, it's for sure a fanfic for fans. And having watched the episodes that are directly referenced in this i still find it interesting that there's like a full recounting mhm instead of just uh remember that time we beat Dracula in the
2: castle well i think what is happening is like Gondol's queen says at the beginning that like to call this a story seems ambitious what it really is is a character sketch so she they want to begin at the beginning of the relationship between Trevor and Saifa and like how that builds so that they do recount the episodes under which that happens. Because like, that's the thing about the the relationship in the series. It's like in the first two seasons, Trevor and Sipha are not romantically linked. There's like a cute sort of flirtation between them. Um, And then in season three, they're like on the road together, clearly in a sexual relationship and like have the chemistry and um, relationship confidence and comfort of like long marrieds who love each other. And for that to happen so quickly uh, in the narrative of the show itself, like they just gloss over. They're like, well, they're together. (laughs) And Gondol's Queen is filling in that space. So she's starting at the beginning of this character sketch of this relationship, which is why I think that she spends so much time recounting episodes that have that have happened and there's less original content than in other fics.
1: Percentage wise,
2: because percentage wise.
1: Yes. Most of this fic is like imagining like uh, adding depth to the existing narrative I would say more than like creating new narrative. Mm -hmm. Because in season three, they are very romantic. Mm -hmm. We don't see them having sex like on screen. Mm -mm. But this fic gives us on screen sex and Mm -hmm. context for how they like transitioned from just flirting with each other to being in a physical relationship. Do you think like... I don't feel like the pieces that start off in the series themselves, it feels like they are setting kind of a context for non-fans, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It feels like it's creating context for people who don't have that context. Yeah. And so that's what feels like there's some uh, slippage, more than friction, slippage between like the ongoing content, which makes lots of, um, references to characters and places uh, like we should already know, and then this kind of context setting. So I, I, I'm not sure if it is specifically written for fans because of that additional <clears throat> context setting. And like when we get those pieces that are built out, you know, almost, I wouldn't say word for word because There's like a recounting of the action of the episode itself Mm -hmm. um, and a summation of it. There's some kind of character internality going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the character internality, I think, semi informs the way the direction the relationships are going in, not any more or any less than the television show itself.
2: Sure. I think it just adds depth, as you said. Like, there's in the recounting of the storming of Dracula's castle. They're like recounting their injuries afterward, right? Like after right. the fight has happened. And Scythe is like, how did you break your hand? And he's like, I punched Dracula. You were on the ground. You wouldn't have seen it. And she's like, is that when he like clocked me and I was like knocked out? You punched Dracula in the face for me? And then Trevor gets all embarrassed. And it's like, oh yeah, that like I, you know, blink and you miss it. Trevor punching Dracula in the face after Dracula punches Cypher, Like that's like, you know, two, three seconds of the show. But like what is enjoyable to me as a fan and then enjoyable to me as a reader is like Gondol's Queen highlights this moment as a key driver then of this relationship where it's like, here's this thing that you could have easily not noticed. Let me draw your attention to it in the show. And now let me like make a little piece of meat out of it.
1: What I think I'm hearing there, so I think oftentimes we think about fan fiction as being created to fill a a narrative vacuum of some sort, and, like, that narrative vacuum can be wanting to see sex on screen or on the page. A lot of times I think it also ends up being, like, adding sympathy to unsympathetic characters would be, like, another vacuum. Sometimes there are original characters that are created that provide like new perspective on the existing text. But I think also there's fan fiction that isn't like responding to any kind of like specific dearth, but just feels like inspired by the world and wants mm-hmm. to live in it in a more full way, but also a way that's very particular to the author.
2: Mhm. I think that's really true. Like if you <laughs> another fandom that I hang out in is mummy fandom and like this is very true. It's like these are people who just want to hang out with Brendan Fraser's Rick and Rachel Weiss's Evie and they they just want to be with them. And I like I think that's probably true for Gondol's Queen in the space where like Castlevania is something that they enjoy. And like here's another here's here's another way to enjoy it even further.
1: Yeah. And so not like necessarily responding to a lack, but just feeling like super energized by it. Yeah. I I think one of the key differences between fan fiction and canon, especially whenever you're talking about a television show, is that television shows have a lot of writers. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas fan fiction is usually one person and even like has like limited outside input on like editing and things like that. Yeah. So I recently saw Glass Onion. Have you seen that? Yeah. One of the things that struck me about Glass Onion and it made me think about sequels in general and then also fan fiction is that it's like Ryan Murphy fell in love with his own character. <laughs> but I think he probably fell in love with this character he created after he handed it over to an actor whose interpretation was very charismatic. Mhm. And the main character, Benoit Blanc, becomes this like volume up version of Benoit Blanc in the original movie. Everything that's kind of like charming or interesting or hinted at or, or winked at in the first movie becomes explicit and is played out for the audience's enjoyment like on screen. And I think that happens with Fix. I think this fic is doing a couple of different things, but I think in the way it's functioning as like getting to spend more time with characters that you like is that it is dialing up what we find charming about Trevor or what we find charming about Saifa mm-hmm. Or what this person finds charming about Trevor, Trevor and, and Saifa, Yeah. Which is this idea that Trevor's like this secretly brooding but still kind of a rapscallion like rakish figure. And Saifa like, a little spark plug uh, creative force. And that just gets turned up and then we see them have sex. But we <laughs> see them have sex in, like, some pretty interesting circumstances that also feel <laughs> hyper-specific to the world created by the Castlevania authors. Writer's team. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but not just the writer. Like, because for sure – Okay. So the scene I'm referring to is Trevor and Saifah have sex while she's on her period mm-hmm. with the understanding that the smell of her menstruation is going to attract more night beasts yep. that they have to fight. Thank you. That, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That feels 100% like something that would have been considered when they were developing the video game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like, it's it feels so like it feels absurd but it also feels (laughs) like why like why would you write that well you wouldn't write that that's why it's in a fan fiction
2: (laughs) but also it could have just as easily occurred in the fucking show (laughs) like it isn't that far off
1: it's true and it's it's like true and right and stupid and wrong at the same time but i think that's also what like texts are themselves, and yeah. I think what I like about like how befuddled I was like that is that it made, it made me think like this fandom, like Castlevania, is begging for something like that to happen,
2: right. right?
1: And I think that is like where like the vacuum of like a lack of con, like some kind of lack, is what's pulling out a narrative into A O three. Just something that feels so obvious. <laughs> but also, so like, of course not. <laughs> right. But, like, somebody had
2: that idea where they're like, Saifa definitely menstruates, like, and she's on the road a ton, like, night creatures are, night creatures are attracted by blood, shouldn't we? They're like, no, that's stupid. They're like, mm.
1: <laughs> And here's where I'm like, yeah, of course she menstruates. Like, this is based in a reality. And I was like, wait, no, it's not. Like, it's... <laughs> You mean like, Vlad Tepes? Ro- yeah, yeah, I was like, just because he's, his name is Vlad Tepish and there's a Roman Catholic church does not make this <laughs> a depiction of reality. It's oh, also really interesting because it's like uh, Eastern European Roman Catholicism, mm-hmm. Dark Ages, through the lens of like, uh, originally like a Japanese interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. And then it's, here in the thick, it's like reinterpreted again, like just the layers of it. And I, you know, I can't assume anything about the author except that they're very capable of writing in English. But like, I think that like additional fold over is fascinating that can happen in fan fiction. I agree. I wrote my master's thesis on race and fan fiction, and. You don't necessarily have to have, like, focus on a character of color. You don't necessarily have to have an original character of color. Like, if you are a writer of color, your interpretation of the original text that was created by a semi homogeneous group is going to add, just from your, like, general lived experience, like, any kind of identity – is going to add some nuance and color and flavor to the original text. It might not be as flavorful as like menstruation sex directly into fight scene against werewolves.
2: But it, you know, it doesn't need to be <laughs> like, it doesn't need to be that. Like, we ha- like, you know, because like, here's the beauty of the unfolding flower of the internet. Like, Gondol's Queen just envisioned it. And like, what yeah. I love about that scene in particular is like, I love, I love, I love so much about it. A, I love that Saif is like, you probably don't want to have sex with me. And Trevor's like, I obviously want to have sex with you. And she's like, well, you know, I'm bleeding. And he, it like takes him a minute to figure out what she's referring to, which says something specific about Trevor and like his lack of knowledge of women, but also human beings, because he's been this orphan since his whole family was killed. And then he's like, no, I think I'm into it. And so like then that tells you something else about Trevor and like lovely. And then they have this whole conversation about it. And then he's and then she's like, well, you know, we should be ready to fight if you can get me off before we fight, like you win. And he's like, I'm going to keep my pants on. And like the practicality then of their communication is also so fun for me. As a fan of the show, but also as a fan of this fic, um, because like it's it. The dialogue then between them and like the internality between the dialogue and the dialogue tags then serves these multiple functions of like this tells me something about Trevor this tells me something about Cypher, this tells me something about them but also like they're getting ready to like kill some night creatures while they're fucking so that's fun too.
1: You know so much conversation around fan fiction kind of clings to these ideas and I want to be weary of it ourselves where you find kind of the most outrageous thing that happens in the story and you fixate on that. And a lot mm-hmm. of fan fiction is, is not about outrageous things. And, like, for the most part, this fan fiction is not about outrageous <laughs> things. It's about just adding depth to the existing story. There's a conversation about Treva, Trevor Trevor's um, alcohol abuse. Yeah. A frank conversation about that. But I think what's interesting is that, like, like we're not just talking about vacuums in a narrative or what can be inspiring in a narrative. Because fan fiction is so much kind of rooted in individual authors and then eventually in individual readers, as all romance novels, you know, as all written fiction tends to do, it is also highly indicative of what's important to the author, what thread they want to pull on in an existing text. It becomes a lot richer, I think, whenever you just like for sample size purposes <laughs> as if you're looking at something like Harry Potter fic or yeah. um, Star Wars fic where there is such depth and breadth. But it's true in every single fan fiction. You can see what's important to that writer and what's important about their experience in consuming media. And then it's kind of that facet is doubled over in the consumption of it because then you're now pulling what was pleasurable to you about the original text and you're laying that over your reading of this new text and how it aligns, how your values align with that author become really clear. The things that you find important that are reflected in the author, this new text becomes even more kind of, prominent like easier to point at I think
2: I think that's true and I and I think one of the things that like really brings that home for me in this particular text is like I didn't find gondol's queen in castlevania i found her in a different fandom and was obsessed with her like put on the notification anytime she had a new chapter and so then when she switched fandoms to a fandom that i wasn't reading but was consuming i was like holy fuck yes it's like one of my favorite authors just like decided to do a a book about whales like oh my god (laughs) like are you reading my mind right now um, and so like it it does. It's like it's a very strange intimacy. And I think the intimacy comes from the anonymity, right? Where it's like I know basically jack shit about Gondol's Queen, except for the fact that she writes fic, I desperately want to read.
1: But isn't that true about like all authors? Sure.
2: But it like in so like I can read a romance novel and I can be like, this is like here are the parts that's good, here are the parts that are weird, here are the parts that's sexy. Like, and I can honestly feel like that book wasn't written for me. Sometimes uh-huh. it feels like Gondal's queen is like tattooing my fandoms onto my clavicle, which is a very intimate experience that I I'm trying to uh-huh. think of a romance novel that's done that. But fan fiction does it to me more often. And I think it's because of this layering effect that you're talking about, right? Where it's like, here we are, strangers, consuming a thing together.
1: Mm-hmm. Here and we
2: like the same things about it. And we like the same things about it. And we've noticed the same things about it. Here is a fic of all of the things that you've noticed with, and like, I've wrapped it up for you in a narrative. Like, go hog wild and it's like oh god what a gift just for me even though you have ten thousand reads on this already it's like no i i know it was just for me and i think like romance novels can feel like that and i'm but i think that there's something like the fact that you're working on a shared text to start with rather than something entirely new is what creates the fanfic um secret sauce
1: I mean, I'll I'll be interested to revisit this when we talk about fan fictions that have been mass-published. Get it. The other thing is, is, like, the fandoms that, like, really take off are never our interests. It's about. so
2: true. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just,
1: like... It's never worked out in our favor, favor. It's
2: never worked out in my favor. Even the novels that I've followed on fanfic AO3, where it's like, this should have been a novel. Like, the... There's this one about um, Branson and Sybil from Downton Abbey where they, like, lived an entire life in Ireland and, like, joined the IRA and she became a doctor and, like, Uh he became an insurgent newspaper man in Ireland and they never went back to England. Like, that that fan fiction was 40 chapters and each chapter was over 5,000 thousand words. Like we're talking about like two novels worth of work that this person just produced for free for people like me.
1: Have they thought about changing the names of the main characters? And then just like (laughs)
2: publishing it? I hope so because it was really good.
1: It's interesting that you're pointing out the shared text as kind Mm -hmm. of this originator of intimacy but I do think like you were kind of gesturing towards something earlier about like the nature of the internet itself Mm -hmm. because I think we put books and people who write published books on such a pedestal. Like, it still blows my mind that we've met people who have published books. Yeah. (laughs) And that they talk to us. Like, that is still something that I have a hard time wrapping my head around. Whereas, like, there does feel, I think, it cries out for personal identification if you're just sharing something for free on the internet. And there's this whole, like, other paratextual function where you can provide immediate feedback to the author. Mm -hmm. And it's meant for the author's eyes, which is not true for (laughs) what we do with published romance novels.
2: Super duper not true, right? Like, don't tag authors in reviews and all that Whereas on AO3, you leave kudos and comments.
1: Yeah, that are intended specifically for the author.
2: Right, and you can gift a fanfic to another author.
1: I think that, yeah, I think that might be doing a lot of the work. And the paratext is often this place of vulnerability for the author. So the paratext I'm talking about are like author's notes, which can be included in every chapter that you publish on Archive of Our Own. and of all of the fanfiction that I've read, every single piece uses the author's notes at least once for apologia and ah shucksing. And I think that also, like, imagine if every chapter we saw Judith Ivory being like, hey, I hope you guys like this. I'm not super good at writing sex scenes. Um, Please let me know what you think about it. (laughs) Like, what, how that would change the experience of reading Beast. No flames. I had a really big test at school today. I mean, the amount of, like, could-be-bullshit personal details I've read about people's lives in these author's notes. So true. uh, And I say could-be-bullshit are, I think, much more likely to be true.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's something really, like, because, A, there's the anonymity layer, but then the other part of it is, like, it gets highly the proximity of the personal almost forces earnestness which makes sense because like I think romance also commands a kind of earnestness so like fanfic and romance are mm, kissing cousins.
1: Yeah for sure.
2: And I think that work of I... I had a really big test or, like, this is the first time that I've written a scene about cunnilingus or this is my first, you know, scene about whatever. Like, I've never put Hermione and the twins together. Um,
1: no, I flames.
2: Think, <laughs> no flames. No um, flames. I'm just a tender-hearted baby. We we see that with romance authors. They just do it on Instagram and Twitter and they say, no bad reviews, like, or don't tag me.
1: I, I don't know if I... can. Can you tell me more about how that, like... Reads as earnestness.
2: Oh, I think it's earnest when authors say that they don't want to see any kinds of reviews unless they're positive. I think they are in deep earnest.
1: True and earnest feel like different things to me. <laughs> okay,
2: sure. I think one of the things that I find acceptable and even correct on fan fiction is when someone says something like that, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm just trying something out. Because there is... An expectation, I think, of some experiment. Right. Yeah. Like you're it's you're it's free. It's free. You're doing a thing with an existing universe, or you're creating your own AU, but that AU probably has rules that I'm pretty familiar with because of the original vibe text.
1: Yeah. You're also putting this out into like essentially a slush pile. Right. Zero people might see this. Zero <laughs> no people one, might see this. You could just be talking to yourself.
2: And you probably are Talking to, like, ten people, which is not that many, right? Like, that's that's somebody's Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and, like, I think the thing that begins to happen in romance, right, you're right, that's stripped out of the books. Um, it's stripped out of the ebooks too. too, um, even in, like, Kindle universe and those wild spaces. Um, although sometimes not entirely. And sometimes they don't lurk at the beginning. They lurk at the end in the acknowledgements. But I think they the that, that sort of like earnest insecurity, that sort of earnest like oh I hope you really like this functions now on social media as part of the performance of author rather than the performance of text.
1: So when I I think of earnestness, I think of like being stripped of performance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even when the author's notes are being are saying like I'm being vulnerable. Like it's still rather performative. Mm-hmm. It is. But I also like And part it, of that comes from like a lot of them seem like copy pastes of other authors. Notes. notes. Yeah, like I think like they
2: read that and they're like, That's a good idea. I should do that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I absolutely think that's true. Or they function as like weird sort of PSAs.
1: I don't think anyone is being like, here's my truth. I have a chemistry <laughs> test on Thursday and for that reason this chapter is two days late (laughs) like i don't think anything like that's happening it feels very like hedgy and performative i think people are saying true things
2: i think people are saying true things and i think they are performing those true things and like you just hit on something else too where it's like people begin to expect your chapters and they like check in if you don't like like if you abandon a fic they won't check in anymore. But, like, sometimes people who read you consistently will check in and be like, hey, are you okay? You haven't updated in a while. And so people then do feel a responsibility. So, like, when they're like, oh, my God, I had that history final and, like, I couldn't upload it or, like, my computer died or, like, my cat is sick. Like, I've read so many authors.
1: (laughs) It's so weird that people provide those excuses.
2: Because they feel like they
1: must. But people do it and... On fan fictions that have like 10 readers. And I realize, like, you could have 10 readers and one of them could be like, Hey, are you still working on this? The sheer number of times I have, I just, the odds aren't there. Yeah, <laughs> I think, no, I like, agree. I, like, I think it's like one of those things that people think they should say.
2: I think that's probably true. I think there's like the act of performance, I think, is, um, it kind of feels like part of the scaffold. Right. And so, like, I don't, I'm not a, like, it doesn't annoy me. It doesn't, like, it feels, it feels like part of the topiary, right? Like, here, here are the trees. I'm like, oh, this is what the tree says. Okay. Right? Whereas, like, in romance novels, it does begin to annoy me when I see authors (laughs) perform similarly. And it's because they aren't providing this for free, and they shouldn't, and I don't want them to. Yeah. But it comes with that same sort of... mm, I want to say needy insecurity, but I don't know if that's true.
1: I think it is neediness. I think it's neediness on both parts. Okay. I think the other thing that those author's notes are doing on AO3 is making a bid for affection. Mm. I think in spite of its like kind of performativeness and how I feel like it's hedgy and it's not particularly earnest, I think it is demonstrating the relationship of a writer to even their imagined readers Mm -hmm. in a way that's a lot more visceral (laughs) than Mm -hmm. um, romance authors or like even seeing fucking Jonathan Safran Foer's emails to Natalie Portman which his emails to Natalie Portman are essentially like sorry I haven't published in a while (laughs) Uh, I've had a hard time putting my kids to sleep and then their guinea pigs were sick do you still like me
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think bid for affection is right and like a bid against critique
1: yeah yeah and I think it's interesting because this fic is a, a very accomplished fic like this is someone who writes fan fiction I think you're correct I think the correct assessment is for fans but Mm -hmm. i think perhaps the text is imagining that there are perhaps some outsiders and that's why this context is provided also probably because maybe the author finds it like helpful to orient themselves by starting off in text recounting from their own perspective or
2: yeah from their own perspective of the original text
1: yeah at least from their own interpretation because the perspective would be from a character right like whatever the reasons are for doing that however there are like notes before our first ever sex scene that are like um please note the rating change this chapter is 95 percent sex true i'm not super satisfied with it but staring at it in irritation isn't going to help anything so here you go and then the end of the chapter includes detailed notes about historical middle, age birth, middle Ages birth control methods because the main characters choose to use the pull-out method. The idea that a writer is so consistently imagining a reader is something that's refuted at all turns, right? As And it is helpful, right? As people who critique writing to say like there's nothing but the text right there's nothing but the text there's nothing but the text and something that's unique about fan fiction is that at the top and at the end of every piece every section is an opportunity for the author to acknowledge you and to speak directly to you and to share and the themselves. ways in which and themselves and to share the ways in which they were specifically thinking of you and yeah. this writer is thinking that there's going to be someone who reads it and thinks like, oh, well, I'll use the pullout method because <laughs> Trevor and Saifa used the pullout method in this chapter of fanfic. I
2: like to imagine that Gondol's Queen is thinking that there's like a nerdy teen who's thinking about sex and like is like not receiving proper sex education in their public school and, and is like performing a PSA.
1: And is... In lieu of being historically inaccurate in this vampire story, is choosing (laughs) to provide information uh, gently veering this imagined reader away from the The pull-out method, method. which I think they even refer to as coitus interruptus. It's scientific name. It's Christian name. (laughs) I love it. I don't. (laughs) I don't don't like being confronted by the author this much and this specifically. Like, it was really helpful when I was writing a thesis, but I'm starting to think that this was the thing that, like, burned me out.
2: Hmm. I can see how that would be. Yeah, I've never written a thesis on fanfic, so. And in so many ways, like, I I found that charming. And
1: they didn't have it on the IMDb message board.
2: (laughs) That's so funny. It was
1: just split out.
2: I've only ever had fanfic with end comments and uh chapter uh author's comments. Like that's the only way that I've interacted with fanfic. So like it also like it it doesn't strike me any which way except like this is the topiary and like that one in particular. It just it just felt like an author was envisioning a teen with bad sex ed and wanted to gently be like this isn't the way, but this is how the show did it. And so this is like keeping in character or whatever
1: how do you feel that the author that's how the author imagines their audience for this text
2: i think that's like just one person that they imagine as part of their readership um i have no problem saying that like i am a huge fan of this author and that i wrote a fanfic and when This author commented on it. I freaked the fuck out. I felt like I'd won an Oscar. Um, I don't need anyone to ever comment on my writing again because Gondol's Queen said it was good. And I think, like, that's the other thing about fanfic and romance that, like, sort of uh, breathes into each other, where, like, this is part of that intimacy where it's, like, unasked for. Gondol's Queen gave me copious notes on my writing like workshop level notes with just like just as like here are all the thoughts that I had about your work here's where I thought I was you know really strong here's where I thought I could have been stronger and like here's what I like about what you did here here's what I think is unique here's where I think you're a little derivative and it's to just to to just have that be somebody's default is insanity Just like like, that, this stranger on the internet was just like, I read your work. Here are all of my thoughts. Like, that
1: is. Did you previously offer Gondol's Queen notes on their. Never. I've commented before. I'm like, yeah, I love this so much. You made me cry. Never. That's interesting. That's an interesting facet. But I'm wondering, how do you feel? about these kind of prescriptive author's notes because i think something about it we get a lot of prescriptive information in romance that's published in mm-hmm. the 2020s mm-hmm. and we find it you and i have both shared that it can get a little taxing and you feel do you feel differently about author's notes in fan fiction in general or are you specifically you feel differently about this writers notes on their own fiction that's a good question. I would have to test this, but
2: my my instinct is that I generally genuinely and generally'm not bothered by prescriptive comments in fanfic because the 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 people who have access and like and like this is this is me telling on myself because like there's no reason that like a thirteen year old wouldn't have access to any of the romance novels that you and I have read on this podcast. But, like, the, I don't don't know, maybe it is something about the availability or the freeness of AO3 or, like, that a 13-year-old would be in their fandom rather than a romance novel that, like, I don't find the prescriptive end comments, like, they're not it isn't for me and I know it's not for me personally even if I feel like the fic is but like I'm not bothered that it's there for someone else whereas in a romance novel I often find especially those written you know in the last five years if they are offering prescriptive stuff like that and I'm like why are you telling me something I already know because it does feel like it is meant for me rather than like a generalized audience that could be anywhere from like 10 to 90
1: there is something like liberating about writing for free on the internet at least in ao3 and ao3 has somehow mostly managed to create like a a productive space like i see people saying like providing really detailed feedback that is in fact just veiled mean comment you know, like baroque mean comments and, I, you know, I see people kind of, like, working around the expectations of the platform to deliver much of the same that you would expect on any other platform on the internet. But for the most part, I think it's pretty productive, pretty peaceful, pretty self-managed in a way that, like, Reddit only dreams of, right? Yeah, totally. And there's something about it. But I, there's also something in general that I think is still so freeing about writing for free on the internet because if an author specifically gave me an end note I would be like you're not a sex education expert you're a writer (laughs) you know maybe provide me like a resource but Mm -hmm. I didn't ask for you to like tell me how to live it's like if your therapist starts telling you like nutritionist advice right it's like stay in your lane But there's something about the nature of fan fiction being much more naked in Mm. its... Like, there is a person writing this who is thinking about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now they're talking to you directly. And this person who is writing this is writing this purely for their own fascination and pleasure and everything that like you can make assumption like you can much more safely i think make assumptions publicly about what's happening in fan fiction because there's something more personal project about it even though like all writing especially romance writing is that way is like a very personal project um for the in a lot of cases now i can think of some texts that aren't like that but i think there's something about saying like I want to write a story I love that includes things I love about a text that I love that I think creates more space for like this direct confrontation and it is like a direct confrontation like it's a missive.
2: (laughs) Yeah it's a missive and I'm like I'm trying to think about like a real world example where it's like why do I find it if not charming at least like inoffensive in fanfic when i know that i find it offensive in a written romance novel and it's like the only thing that's coming to mind right now is like if chicago party aunt says something and i'm like okay (laughs) you know it's like we can move on you're wrong about that but like cool whatever it's like i'm not gonna
1: chicago party aunt say like just chicago party Ant is a novelty twitter account that assumes the persona of a party (laughs) ant based in chicago like your mother's sister not like the insect
2: but like your mother's sister who's like yeah you know i had a fake id it's like it's totally cool just like you know just like yeah like
1: the party sister
2: you can totally shotgun a white claw in fact you should probably shotgun too right and it's like hmm I don't know about that, Stacey.
1: Oh, you don't like it when Chicago Party aunt (laughs) tweets things like that?
2: No, it's not that I don't. It's like, I think I would find it offensive if I saw that written somewhere where it's like, the only way to experience White Claw is to shotgun it twice in the back of a Dodge Intrepid. And I'd be like, okay, fuck off, right? But if Chicago Party aunt said... You know the best way to enjoy two white clouds is to shotgun it in the back of Intrepid. I'd be like, "Mm, I think you're wrong, but okay. Like,
0: I
1: I I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying about like the context of who it's coming from. Right is what makes it okay.
2: Even though it's like the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna push back a little bit. (laughs) Like, I still don't see what qualifies. What makes this person like a qualified sharer of that information?
2: That the pull-out method isn't good?
1: Or just, like, the full context of the entire comment. Like, there's, there's no additional resources given or anything like that. Today, coitus interruptus is still somewhat effective, though significantly less so than modern methods, provided you do it correctly. The possibility of human error is pretty high. We now have lovely things like condoms and birth control and IUDs and so on that works much better. I think our lovebirds here are being as responsible as they can, provided that they plan on having PIV sex, penis and vagina, in 1400s Wallachia. Do not follow their lead. Like, you can say something and you can be right, but you can also be like... Yeah, I just
2: didn't strike me that way.
1: Mostly, I'm trying to talk about, rather than the fact that this is, like, specifically... A fan fiction taking time to like provide us with sex education. I think it's interesting that authors are commenting on their own text directly and thinking about how a reader might react to it and apply their text to their own life. Yeah,
2: I think that's somebody who's thinking about teens reading it.
1: It is often said that writers think of a broad audience, right? You think of Mm -hmm. one specific, or like Stephen King recommends, you think of one specific. Reader. And you get that advice. You also get the advice to not think about any reader, to just write for yourself from like Neil Gaiman and stuff. And so it's interesting to see a writer thinking specifically not only about like who their reader is, but like you're saying, a reader, they just want to like cover their bases just in case one of their readers happens to be someone who needs to receive this message. And then also thinking that like a reader would take their fan fiction that much to heart I think that's what's really fascinating about it is that it's a refutation of kind of accepted writer dogma
2: yeah I think that's to the intimacy of the community like I think there's something really very specific there about the interaction that is both assumed and probably had between fanfic authors and their readers
1: Do you think it's that they don't have an editor? I think that's certainly
2: part of it. But I also think, like, it wouldn't surprise me if Gondol's Queen in their long fanfic career had received a very heartfelt comment about, like, I didn't know about X, Y, or Z until you mentioned it, right? Like, that's also the intimate space of fanfic where, like, your readers really do tell you things in real time really quickly.
1: Mm hmm. Like as you're working on something. Yes. As you are working on something. That would be the difference between traditional publishing is the kind of immediacy of feedback that you would be used to receiving.
2: Right. Where it's like you put a chapter up and like you get 15 comments in like, you know, seven hours. They're like, "Ooh, I liked this or like this made me think it would affect your the way that you would write the rest of it. Right. Because you're getting that constant and immediate feedback
1: as opposed to like
2: writing in a vacuum until it's just out.
1: Well, I mean, god, please people use fucking editors. <laughs> I am a little the, like, please. <laughs> at least get someone else to give you like detailed feedback on your work. At least one person, at least. It's interesting cuz it, I think it takes I think it takes no confidence to write creatively, but I think it takes a lot of confidence and curiosity to put your work in front of others like it takes a real like power up a a real will do you think it would be more or less for or I can just like ask you as someone who's kind of experienced it is it like more or less frightening to send something out to like a publisher versus to put something on AO3 knowing that you're only speaking for your own experience (sighs)
2: Speaking from my own experience, everything that I've put on AO3 has literally just been me. Like, I have edited myself as much as possible, but, like, the stuff that I've published IRL, um, multiple edits, multiple editors, stuff that I've published on AO3 is really just me. And so, like, in terms of the, the confidence that it takes, I will say that, like an editor forces you to distance yourself from your writing right like it's just the nature of the beastie um so by the time that you get your third round of edits you're like i it's like is this even me who the fuck wrote this um
1: really it's
2: not like that on Ao3. yeah um it's like writing your master's thesis like have you like have you returned to that document
1: i haven't but i i did not feel like the stuff that I, like, edited and, and put out there was not mine. Mm. But that's interesting. So you feel, like, more ownership over what you put out or, like, more more like a, uh, I don't know, like, is this dumb? Like, a, kindred, a kindredness with your <laughs> writing that you put out on AO3? Is that right? I think it's, like, it's an urgency
2: issue, right? Because, like, part of the thing about distance with, like, three rounds of edits is that it just takes time. And when I write my fan fiction, it's, like, I won't sit on it for more than, like, four days, right? Like, I'll Mm -hmm. write it initially, I'll go through my own initial edit, and then I'll just put it up. And that process probably takes, yeah, three to four days. Versus something that, like, takes weeks and weeks and weeks. And so that difference...
1: Like trying to get like a short story published?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking specifically about the stuff that I've published for like the Missouri Conservationist or my other magazine publications. Okay. I've never had a short story published.
1: Have you sent them out, your fiction? Twice. Okay, and like that experience, did you think differently as you were like putting them out there? They're different tools. But how did you feel differently? Like you, your feelings? Or maybe you didn't feel differently at all is kind of the, the queer. I'm not like, and
2: now like I'm thinking about my feelings and like how they react in my body. And it's like, I use, yeah, I use writing fanfic as a tool to get me to write, right? Like I use it as an accountability tool. I use it as a space where it's like my brain doesn't feel capable of creativity. Mm -hmm. So let me work in a space that is already like, let me work in a world that's already created. Yeah. And be creative there.
1: So what's the call to publish it online? I want feedback. Do you want feedback or do you want adoration?
2: Yeah, I want adoration. Let's be fucking real. It's like I don't go to AO3 to <laughs> feel didn't. bad. I'm
1: in it for the kudos.
2: Yeah, I'm in it for the kudos.
1: Please rate and review.
2: <laughs> but you know Five how I want stars. you to rate and review me. Like you know the rules. Yeah. And like I think in some ways the the beauty i find in fanfic and like it is a really like especially the communities that i like haunt are fairly supportive and like pretty mm-hmm. cool and like are like they're they're talking to each other about spaces and growth and like all sorts of really interesting like writers community stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i like that about fanfic um because you are allowed to be experimental in ways that like I don't think you are in other places. And yeah. the other thing that's weird about it is that it holds you open even when you don't know that y- you aren't, right? Like, one of the things that I find as a fanfic writer is that, like, I can let a, I can let a fic go and just be like, done with you, whatever, whatever, ghost fanfic from however long ago. And like, seven years later, I'll get like a note. And, like, I will feel my chest open up and I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck did you just say? And, like, you you open the whole thing up and it's this lovely comment from, like, some person living in Brazil. And it's like, you don't get that when you send your stuff to a slush pile. You don't get that when you, like, you know. So it
1: feels more hopeful.
2: It feels more productive, frankly.
1: It feels more productive. That's really interesting. And I have to say, I find it so refreshing all writers are seeking adoration yeah and i am so sick of the ones who are like i'm just seeking truth like i'm writing because i have to write it's like you have to write you don't have to publish be ever so fucking for real right now. <laughs> it's true these are two different things and that's a very vulnerable thing to say but it's also an incredibly obvious thing to say not unlike the period sex scene in this fan fiction it's like the only thing that it makes so much sense it feels like all of the pieces of the puzzle falling together and yet it's so rarely acknowledged but i think like the paratext in fan fiction is like the most frank naked place for writers i think so too even if they're hedging and they're 100% hedging with their, like, be nice to me. <laughs> they're always hedging. I'm not, like, I'm not worried about that.
2: It feels, like, different than some romance author on Twitter being, like, this is my mortgage. Even though it's the exact same thing.
1: It's not because they're not, no one is getting their mortgage. Well, very few people are getting their mortgage <laughs> it's not from Kindle Unlimited.
2: That's not the expectation. Yeah.
1: That's not the dream. Yeah, it's not the dream well maybe it is the dream now i don't know the world is changing that's the other thing
2: but there's so many people and like i think gondol's queen is like a pretty good example of this where it's like i don't know how you would turn this into like a generic like like sypha and trevor are just like graduate students or like a veterinarian and a patient you know like this is pretty specific to the world.
1: Yeah, this is, this is for real ones only. This is like what fan fiction is. Like you should yeah. watch the show so that you can gain additional like context for what's going on. And it's adding sex <laughs> <laughs> on page. And character depth. And it's, turn- well, it's definitely turning up the character traits. What was your sexiest part?
2: Uh, I love befuddled Trevor. Uh, so when, like, before they have their first, uh, coitus and they're in the wagon and Saifa's like, we should turn off here. And he's like, we still have, like, three hours of sunlight. We can still push on. And she's like, mm, we should turn off here. It's going to get cold. And he's like, I could warm you up. And she's like, you may warm me up. And then he's like, Are you correcting my grammar? She's like, nope.
1: And then he gets it so
2: cute love it love it I love Trevor I love Sypha they're like two of my faves
1: I was so shocked when you chose Castlevania because you do not like gory stuff you don't like Mm -mm. scary stuff Mm -mm. and 50% of this show 70% maybe of this show is very violent a lot of blood spurting
2: so much blood spurting and like the sound of it (laughs) I love the violence of Castlevania because it feels justified when in the very first episode after they've killed Lisa Tepesh, which is terrible and violent and awful. And then Vlad Dracul, Dracula, is like, I'm going to fucking burn this place to the ground. No human will be left. And then the night creatures come into the church and they come for that priest. And he said, this is a house of God. Like, you can't come in here. And he's like, there's no God here. Like... We don't know who you're talking about. And then they kill the priest who killed Lisa Tepesh. I was like, yeah, I'm always down for depictions of the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church being eviscerated. Like, I'm just here to see 13th and 14th century Catholicism being eaten by demons.
1: But not Vatican II.
2: No, Vatican II or like Pope Francis. No, never.
1: I mean, they're not all evil, but.
2: (laughs) They all could be devoured by night creatures and we wouldn't be worse off. You know what I mean? It's like the richest nation on earth is the Vatican.
1: They also have depiction of just like child murder and like entire communities getting like their heads popped off by wolf bat things.
2: Demons. I
1: can deal with that. I feel like you've misrepresented yourself to me.
2: A, it's animated. B, it's Richard Armitage.
1: Maybe that's the ticket.
2: That's part of it, certainly.
1: Maybe you'll endure all. For Dickie Arms. Next time I want you to go see a scary movie with me, I'll just wear a Dickie Arms t-shirt or something. You
2: will have to... His voice will have to be in it.
1: Oh, that's right. He doesn't even look like himself. All right. Sexiest part was the first sex scene whenever... Cypher initiates via clever wordplay.
2: Mm-hmm. What about for you?
1: I like the chapter afterwards where there's just kind of, like, lazy post-coital bliss. You know, I got to be honest. Watching the show, I wasn't like, I want to see him kiss. You know?
0: <laughs> like,
1: I, I didn't find their chemistry particularly evocative. I also just assumed all Castlevania fic would be Thrupples. There are a lot of that. Trevor and Sypha and Alucard. And I got to say, like, you know, I missed Alucard. Yeah. But I was surprised. You know, there's quite a few fics that are Thrupples, but I don't think it's the majority. It's
2: a lot. Do
1: you know what's great about AO3? I can do a quick check to find out. There you go. Let's see here. Filters, relationships. Wow, there are not very many. Hmm. Unless people are doing them as separate and trying to sneak around my assessment tool. <laughs> Could be. I'm not seeing those slashes where I want to see those slashes. Clearly, I've identified a vacuum in the fandom.
2: See, this isn't true, because, like, back... Well, before Tumblr was taken down, that's all <laughs> the fan art that there was. Thrupples.
1: I have identified a vacuum on AO3. And that's, I would like to read an AU Castlevania fic that brings Alucard, Seifa, and Trevor to the 2003 MTV Spring Break in Cancun, where everyone was doing those three-way kisses at the Senior Frogs. Whoa! And I want I want them to do a three-way kiss right after the Limp Biscuit set.
2: Hopefully, one of our listeners can provide that.
1: Custom ordered. Uh, What was your weirdest part?
2: (laughs) Like, I don't have one. I love everything about
1: those. All right. Just (laughs) (laughs) copping out. Hey, wait, yeah. Weird doesn't have to necessarily mean bad.
2: That's true. I think, obviously, I wanted it to continue. It kind of ends on a cliffhanger. So my weirdest part would be, like, that epilogue.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, The need for the epilogue is described in the author's notes as not wanting to leave Alucard alone out there. And I really thought we would, this would be like a longer text, or at least more Alucard presence, because even whenever they depart, Trevor and sifa on their own, there's some mourning in the author's notes for leaving Alucard behind. Mm-hmm. And I would say my weirdest part is like, yeah, I expected more Alucard in general. He is the blonde ersatz foil to Trevor. It's true. And so I feel like his like, panache like this is a pretty like tight little story it's also completed though and it just feels like Alucard's such a like key part of the zest
2: yeah that was one of the things that, that was weird about the show separating the team as you said he's he's a zesty part of their dynamic I could really read some Carmilla fic I think
1: <laughs> I like that her name is Carmilla it's so like on the nose <laughs> Castlevania first of all it's called Castlevania I know Now, since we're talking about a super personal genre, my personal, if I were to do this, if I were to be like, I want to add romantic depth to Trevor and Saifa's journey, have them go on the journey, and then I would just yada yada the rest of season three, and then immediately bring them back to Alucard and be like, oh no, he's bummed. Is he bummed because of Cypher? Is he bummed because of Trevor? Like, who is he longing for? It's both of them. It was always going to be both of them. Then they go through one of their mirrors, too. MTV Spring Break 2003 Cancun, Mexico. Senior Frogs.
2: They'd have so much more fun than they do at the end of season
1: four. (laughs) 100% yeah.
2: Although I do really love season four. I'm not going to lie. Like, and Castlevania really functioned for me as like a text text. as like a text doing something that I think romance novels do really well which is delivering a satisfying end and Castlevania really did that in season four and I was like oh, this is what that feels like in a show and it'd been a long time since I felt that way about a show
1: I don't know I think like ambiguous endings frankly are like what's in vogue right now
2: for sure and it's like you know what you can just have a happy ending like it's
1: okay don't make me work at this create my own meaning
2: right or like <laughs> you know or like someone has to like n- unnecessarily die or like some like for the stakes to like function the way that they're supposed to i'm like
1: what if yeah and hear me out <laughs> everybody gets to live everyone was friends what if everyone was friends Everyone was living friends who never died. They don't need to never die. They just don't need to die in the show. Yeah. That doesn't, the, the manner and nature of their death doesn't need to be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you, Isabeau, for sharing one of your personal favorite fix and having a very open conversation about it, however deeply frightening I'm sure it was. It's fine. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. And I also appreciate fan fiction so much. One of the things I I really enjoyed about reading this is it was clear how much affection there was for the characters. Mm -hmm. And you get to see them have, like, a nice, like, nice things happen to them in a series where very few nice things happen. I think that's exactly right. And it's interesting that, like, even something as, like, dark as Castlevania would call up someone to be like, I want to see them just have a nice afternoon (laughs) camping.
2: Right? Like, I want them to have some parsnips in their
1: soup. Yeah, which is something I wanted, but... And probably would have greatly benefited the show overall totally.
2: <laughs> yeah, just like some like fucking like some later moments.
1: But the episodes are fifteen minutes long.
2: It's true. There's just like it's there's just there's no gristle on those episodes. There's just no I
1: know they had the budget. It was pre white lotus Theo James. You're not getting him back in that sound booth for less than <laughs> five thousand dollars. The perfect amount of money to say anything. that is expensive $5,000 no one feels compelled to look up the inflation (laughs) Mm -hmm. everyone's just like oh $5,000 anything else you'd like to say about Rough Magic a Castlevania fanfiction
2: and if you really love Star Wars Rebels I highly recommend Gondol's Queen as a fanfic author that you should put on your list Um, and you know what here's what I will say there's a fandom that you really love, try your hat at 500 words. Just, like, see where see where the excitement of your thing takes you. You don't have to put it on AO3, but just, like, participate. See what that does for
1: you. That's it. Just give it a shot. Just as an exercise. Do you know what would be interesting? Hmm. Find a fandom you don't care for. Whoa. Isabel, I want to see 500 words on Raylo. By the end of the week. Fine. What is your fandom that you don't care for? Castlevania. I'm just kidding. I, I don't mind Castlevania. What, what is a fandom I don't like? Because you're right. I don't like Raylo. Well, I don't like Raylo. Oh. Uh-oh. Preview for... <laughs> next week I'm not particularly I don't understand Raylo I could understand it in a non-romantic sense wanting to explore
2: I can only understand it in a non-romantic sense like I do not get it in its romantic sense and I will say that there was a time where I was like definitely through all of the last Jedi I'm like these these people are cousins they're gonna be like first cousins like that's what's gonna be the reveal here and it's gonna be fucking gross and it's gonna be like Leia and Luke all over again so stop making it romantic like oh maybe that
1: save it for the next episode you need <laughs> to put that back in your pocket young lady what's a- anyway. I don't like. I don't care for Edward and Bella I don't care for Edward and Jacob I don't care for Bella and Jacob
2: Oh, I was I was cool with O.L. and Jacob, but he I ran loved
1: hot. Transcendence, which it turns out was an Edward and Bella fan fiction, and we did not realize it.
2: We a hundred percent did not know that, <laughs> which is <laughs> and, actually crazy to me now because he was Ed and B.
1: Well, people say that, but like, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to every time I come across that combination of letters be like, "Oh, it's Twilight fan fiction"? Is there some freaking code? I don't think I guess so. that was
2: part of it.
1: I mean, that's how they're communicating it to me, but also people are like, didn't she get it? It's uh and B. And I'm like, no, I didn't get it. I don't live my life looking for these signs.
2: I also thought B definitely stood for Beth because yes. of her genes.
1: Yes.
2: It would have been a much more 90s name.
1: Also, Than Beth. Bella. Beth Sounds like Beth. Thank you. I appreciate that. Ridiculous. That's true. I'm mad at everyone who knew that, and I didn't.
2: (laughs) Well, well, now we know.
1: But also, I'm glad I didn't know it.
2: Yeah, it would have definitely colored my experience, and I'm glad that I had it, like,
1: free and clear. Yeah, but we'll talk more about those undercover fix, those AUs, on our next episode. Wah, wah, wah. But until then, I'm going to encourage you to loosen your stays.
2: But... Never your principles.
0: Mm.
1: Woly guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance.
0: Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan.
1: And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at M.Reichman, spelled n
0: Original music by Nick.
1: If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.